If you were to just brag about God, what would you say? If you just had a chance to just an audience that you're just like, you know what, just, just brag, just get up and boast. I mean, let it out. What would you say? Anyone? He's everything. Anyone else? He's loyal. What would we say? Healer. What was that? All loving. Omni everything. Yeah. <laughs> Omniscient. Yeah, we, we could do this for a while. And you know what? I, I, I hope that that is what our lives kind of start to turn into. Is just this constant need and desire and joy in boasting about God. Because he is all of those things. And, and it hit me as I was thinking about the sermon while we're going through uh, praise and worship that what is praise and worship other than boasting about faith? Boasting about the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, worship is to ascribe worth. It is worthship to ascribe the worth that is worthy of God, to give to him what is his. And what we're doing is coming together collectively to boast of God. And yet so many times when we start the boast of faith, we want to turn it around and somehow make it about us. And I think sometimes it's, you know, there are those that it's malicious and they're false teachers and we're going to see exactly that's what happened in Corinth. But I think sometimes it's just we get confused and it's not malicious, but at the same time, we're not really giving credit to God. We're just maybe using God as kind of, you know, the cosmic ATM that if we punch in the right code of faith, we get something back. But what we find here in 2 Corinthians is Paul decides it's time to kind of level the playing field. You know, last week he said that these false teachers were actually servants of Satan. I mean, he doesn't hold back. And so this time, this week, he goes into a discussion where he starts to boast of his faith and his life and what it means to serve God. And it doesn't look like what you would think it would look like. Because when Paul starts to boast about his Christian life, he's not boasting his credentials that make him look superior to other people. In fact, he's bragging about how hard his life is. He's bragging about a list that, if we were honest, probably none of us would want to be able to say that list. None of us would be like, oh, yeah, you know, like you've heard me before, sign me up for that. That is exactly what I want my life to have looked like when I serve God. And yet, it's what Paul uses, literally uses, to build the case for why his faith is genuine and the faith of the false teachers is false. And so there's something really to be learned here. And so we have a little longer section of Scripture just because of the discussion. But look with me in 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen through 33. And he says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I, may, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. So he's not into bragging here. I just want you to get that. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. 
For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So Paul, he decides it's time to, you know, go ahead and boast. Let's go ahead and brag. They, the, these false teachers had their credentials. I'll lay mine out there as well. And let's see how they measure up. Now, did you notice how many times he said, I'm being a fool? He wants them to realize that this kind of bragging and this kind of putting, you know, your resume against somebody else's, he, he says that's foolishness. Paul does not for an instant want them to believe that he is making this about himself. So he says over and over, I'm being foolish right now. I'm speaking like a madman. He doesn't want to make it about himself. And yet there's a point to be made with the Corinthians because they have put so much value in these types of things, because that is what has caught their attention and their imagination, Paul has to speak in a way that's going to reach them. And so he's willing to cross over that line just a little bit and show if you're really going to measure what's going on here and who's more faithful and who, who's done more in ministry, then even if it comes down to this kind of foolish boasting, Paul wins. And yet, Paul doesn't want to win, does he? He wants them following God. It's not about Paul, but Paul has to make it about himself so that they'll listen to him. But one of the things that I think, one of the chief things we can learn out of this is that kindness is not weakness. And I say that because the the false teachers that came into Corinth came in and he said they put on airs. They slapped them in the face. They, they made slaves out of them. They devoured them. I mean, these people came in and probably had quite the braggadocious presence and, and we're that and they'd stick their chest out and they were, they were the, the high and mighty spiritual leaders that everybody needed to listen to. 
And Paul says, yeah, I was too weak for that. Now, he's being sarcastic. And what he's saying is that he loved them too much to treat them that way. Is that everything that Paul did was to guide them in their faith to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and glorify him. Paul did not ever make it about himself. And he says, I never wanted to take advantage of you. I never did take advantage. I didn't abuse you. I didn't manipulate you. I didn't use any of the tactics that these false teachers did. And what did Paul get in return for that? He was considered weak. Now think of that. Because he loved them, he was considered weak. And the Corinthians were like, oh, no, no, these guys are the real apostles. They're for a while. Now, they repented, and Paul's having to kind of, you know, repair the damage from all of this. But for a time, they saw Paul's kindness as weakness, and they saw the abuse of the false teachers as strength. Now, that is a messed up worldly way of thinking. And yet Paul has to do that. And so what does Paul tell? I mean, he, he laid something out there very specific in verses 19 through 21. He says, for you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. See, they tolerated these false teachers for so long and they thought that they were wise that we've got it figured out that then what he says, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. Paul's being very specific here because he's gotten reports about how things have happened in Corinth. And I want you to put yourself in Paul's shoes for just a second. If, you know, their faith is being, being corrupted, they are struggling in their faith, they're fighting with each other, they're, they're making false claims about you, and then you find out that these false teachers are literally abusing people like this. Do you think it broke his heart? Yes. You remember, he left a successful ministry because he was so heartbroken and anxious over what was happening in Corinth that he couldn't stay there. Y'all remember that? This is why. He heard what was going on in Corinth. He heard how they were being abused and that they were tolerating it and everything that was happening, and it absolutely broke his heart. And they took that as weakness. And so, there is something in human nature, in sinful human nature, let me make that clear, where we, are gra- we gravitate toward that which is strong in this world and yet is ungodly. We look for the wrong kind of strength. We look for somebody that is strong according to worldly standards. What does worldly strength look like? It's the ability to force something, to to make people cower before you, to make people obey. And Paul did what? Paul came in and he served and he loved. And he led by example. And he refused to burden them even with anything, even with his own needs. Because he loved them so much. And what we find is that kindness like this is, is strength. Kindness is not weakness. Kindness is strength in the kingdom of God. But it will run completely counter to worldly philosophy. The world's idea of strength and God's idea of strength are going to be so completely opposite of each other 
that we will literally have to make a choice as to which one we're going to pursue. Which one are we going to embrace and which one are we going to follow? Now, what do we know? We know in Galatians that kindness is one of the fruit of the Spirit, is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Kindness. You see, being kind is not just a a good thing that Christians should do. It should be a genuine part of the, the character and DNA of every person who follows Jesus Christ. Now, we can look at Jesus and say he was the kindest man who ever walked on this planet. Would anybody in this room say that Jesus was weak? No, his kindness required incredible strength. And I want you to think of it like this. In his kindness, as he is hanging on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even in that moment of uh, of the greatest suffering that anyone will ever know, he chose not to revile them. He chose not to be hateful towards them. He allowed only that which was loving and kind and gentle to proceed from him And it was from his heart that he prays for them, Father, forgive them. It's time for us as Christians in in this world that we're in right now to re-engage in the idea of kindness, okay? The definition of kindness is being of a sympathetic or helpful nature. Kindness allows us to show sympathy and grace to one's struggle while still confronting the cause of that struggle. Kindness allows us to walk people through the healing process and the repentance process knowing that they aren't alone and that they are not condemned and yet that they are called to obedience and holiness. That we are all called to walk in righteousness and yet it's through kindness that we do it together. Yes, there's a time for tough love. But you know what the point of that is? Is that it's still love. And it's not just simply giving somebody your, you know, your two cents or or getting your pound of flesh and, 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 you know, revenge. It, It is tough love and that we are willing to say what is true for the benefit of the other person, even though it may be uncomfortable or even painful in the process. We're willing to engage in that pain with them. To say, I'm right here with you. I will hold your hand and I will walk with you through this pain. I won't abandon you in it. My kindness leads me to sympathize with your weaknesses, with your struggle, and I want to help bear you up within it. Kindness is not weakness. Now, one of the things we need to be careful is not to confuse always being nice with biblical kindness. The Bible does not tell us to always be nice. How many of you always heard that? Be nice. Be nice. We kind of have this terminal niceness in the church today. And really what that is is just an inability to confront or to enter into godly conflict. We can say with full assurance that Jesus was always kind. But he wasn't always nice. Now, I want you to think of that. He was always kind, 
He was always of a sympathetic or helpful nature to others. He would always push people towards what was right. And yet, in his kindness, as almost contradictory as it could seem, he made a whip and drove people out of the temple. In his kindness, he told the rich young ruler, go sell everything you have, then come and follow me, and did not chase him when he walked away sad. Why? Because he was being kind in which he was willing to show them and tell them the truth. He didn't soften the blow of the truth because then that's not being kind. That is deceptive. If he had told the rich young ruler, you know what, just go sell a little bit and then come back and we'll work on the rest of it for a while. Then that man would have had a false understanding of what it meant to follow God and he would have been deceived in his own heart about his own state of righteousness. Instead, Jesus, in kindness, and it says he loved him, said, look, you got an idol in your life. You love your stuff more than you love God, and if you want to follow God, you're going to have to go get rid of your stuff. That was the kindest thing Jesus could have done for him. And that took incredible strength for him to do. You see, kindness is not being a doormat. Okay, let me repeat that. Kindness is not weakness. It is not being a doormat. King David was a kind and loving king. He wrote poetry. He played the harp for crying out loud. And yet we would agree he was a warrior. And he had a warrior's heart. I've found in life the kindest people are those you know, those who are truly kind have typically been through a good deal of suffering in their lives. And they know what it is to help a person in the right way. They know what it is to sympathize and yet challenge at the same time. The kindest people are those who understand the right use of strength in this world. And we see that on display in the Apostle Paul's dealings with the Corinthians. He refuses to abuse them. He refuses to, to name names in what's going on. Notice he's, he's never mentioned a single name of anybody. How many of us could resist that? You find out that they're like talking trash about you, that they're lying about you, that they've divided people, that they're abusing people. You'd want to write a letter and be like, this guy's the problem, <laughs> right? Oh, and all of you that supported him and listed out, you know, y'all are the problem too. That was human nature. We'd want to do that. But notice Paul didn't do that at all. He didn't name a single person in Corinth. Now he says, I'm going to be bold with some of them when I get there. I mean, he lets it be known. I'm going to be bold with some of you. You're going to, you're going to get to deal with this. It's okay, God's calling. <laughs> you're going to get to deal with this. And yet this kindness was on display as he tells them over and over and over, I love you, I don't need to forgive you. If there's even anything to forgive, I've already forgiven it. I mean, he just refuses to enter into this back and forth with them that would, you know, drag people down. And so we see his kindness on display, and yet at the same time he is willing to engage the issues that need engaged. And through all of this, there's something that we got to remember is that God doesn't call us to be superhuman in this. And Paul puts that on display. 
a false spirituality, and this is something that I've noticed over years, and it's where it makes it easier to spot false teachings, is that it takes the human element out of things completely. False spirituality makes no room for human frailty, for human feelings, for human, uh, you know, human mistakes or, or human struggle. Paul knows that those are there. He knows they're real. And so as he gets into his list now of everything that he's going to talk about, does he talk about things that build him up of like, look what I did, and I did this, and I did this? No, he talks about his struggles. He talks about everything that was difficult. You see, we aren't called to be superhuman. We're called to be faithful. And faithfulness does not mean perfection. Is anybody in this room going to be perfect before you die? Anyone? No. Does that mean God failed? Is it God's will that you be perfect this side of heaven? No. And if it's not God's will that you be perfect, then you know what? Go ahead and take that off the list. Satan is the one that gets in your head and is like, oh, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. What God wants is for us to learn faithfulness. Just walk with Him consistently, day in and day out. In the little things in life, walk with Him. Don't try to be superhuman, just try to be the best human you can. Just try to be the most faithful human you can. Do what God tells you to do and trust Him to take care of the superhuman stuff. Notice when any Old Testament prophet or any Old Testament miracle or even New Testament stuff, what does God tell him to do? He says, hey, be strong and courageous. You go, you do what I told you to do in the midst of all of this trouble, and I'll take care of the rest. And so Moses, leading them out, he, he, they lead up to the Red Sea, and Moses goes to God, and he's like, hey, God, um, ocean, army, What do you want me to do? And he says, hey, take that staff. Go stand up. I'm going to do something special. Raise the staff up over the water. Okay. (sighs) Wow, that was cool. Hey, everybody, let's go. Did he say Moses caused something superhuman to happen? No, he said, Moses, lift your staff up. Lift the staff up. You see, God will tell us exactly what to do in life And he doesn't expect us to do what he does. He expects us to be faithful. And that is what Paul's list is all about. It's about how he has continued being faithful despite the trials. Okay, think of that. His list is not about building himself up. It's about, I've gotten through all of this with the help of God. And it's been rough. This hasn't been easy. You see, the Corinthians had overlooked what was right in front of them the whole time. They enjoyed the flashy rhetoric and the bold claims of the false teachers, but they didn't see the hero that was loving them the entire time. This hero of the faith that had been faithful through so many things. And had they taken the time to consider the life that Paul lived and the abuse that was being doled out by the false teachers, they would have rejected them quickly. But they believed the lie. 
And so the false teachers, as Paul has already sarcastically said, sold themselves as a kind of super apostle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Paul's an apostle, but we're, you know, we're like that next level up. And so Paul decides to compare. And I want you to listen to this list again. Starting in, in verse 21, it says, But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? See, he's bringing the human experience into his faith here. He's not pretending like he's unaffected by everything. He's saying, this is wearing me out. This is taking every bit of strength that I have. But God has kept him going. When he says, who is weak and I'm not weak? He's like, I... This may be one of those moments that he's looking at it going, I don't know how I'm still here. Other than the grace of God. And then when he says, who was made to fall and I am not indignant. And the idea there is that he hasn't been perfect through all of this. Right here, the apostle Paul just admitted that he hasn't handled all of this with absolute perfection. What's he indignant about? He's angry at himself because he has fallen. He hasn't handled it all perfectly. Here is an apostle admitting that he has struggles in the middle of life. Now, I hope some of you are breathing a bit of a sigh of relief on that. It's not about being superhuman. God doesn't expect from you the impossible. He wants your faithfulness. You see, the point isn't Paul's incredible suffering, his commitment, or even a sacrifice. Paul calls himself foolish for boasting about it. Rather, Paul has already emphasized that he has never abused or even burdened the Corinthians, while he himself has been severely abused for his service to Christ. Instead of a super apostle, Paul presents the super cost of the work of being an apostle. A cost he has gladly paid and did not use to his own advantage in his ministry to them. Notice, he ne- he, until he was forced into it, because this is what they would pay attention to, he never guilt tripped them. Think of that. He had needs. I mean, he, he literally needed money. He needed food. He had actual physical needs. And he says, I never burdened you with it. I let other churches bring it to me. Because he cared so much about them that he, he, he never went in and was like, guys, do you know what I've been through? You know what I've done? He never did that with them. And here he finally kind of lays out what his life has been. And he doesn't do it 
in a way, again, to make them feel guilty. He just wants them to see the truth. You see, the false teachers create this image of faith that isn't realistic. It removes your humanity from it where Jesus says you are human and I'm going to give you the grace to get through it despite your humanity. I'm not asking you to not have feelings. I'm asking you to bring those feelings under the Lordship of Christ. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to believe in me in your imperfection so my grace will cover your imperfection. And false teachers will always twist that in some way. They did it then. They do it today. Okay, today's false teachers literally ignore the passages we just read about Paul's suffering because it completely undermines their health and wealth false teaching. Let me show you how this works today. Philippians 4.13. How many know that verse? Yeah, isn't that a great verse? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? False teachers today take that verse and twist it to mean that God has a wonderful plan for your life that includes personal success, health, abundance, and accomplishment. And all you got to do is believe and God's going to give it to you. Amen? You know Paul is literally saying the opposite in that passage? Literally the opposite. Listen carefully to what he says in that verse and the surrounding verses. Philippians 4.11 Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, that I can do all things is not a promise of a life that if you just have enough faith, you'll never struggle. You know what it is? It's a promise that you'll get through that struggle. That you can face whatever life throws at you through Jesus Christ, and He will get you through. And we waste our effort, our, our faith, I mean everything, when we start to believe that it's this you know, kind of give and get thing, that if I just do things for God, He'll give back to me. That's not how it works. It starts because God gave to us through Jesus Christ on the cross. He gave us eternal life and the forgiveness of sins, and now we live because of that. And so Paul's saying he can endure whatever circumstances he faces because of the strength given by Christ. There is no promise of abundance, prosperity, health, success, or even personal fulfillment. Only the presence of Jesus, which is enough. Now, how many of us could be freed in our faith to stop thinking we're failures, to stop questioning God's love, when we let go of the idea that when I follow God, good things have to happen in life? It's not about the good things happening in this life. It's about the greatest thing he's given you for eternal life. The greatest thing is eternal life. Look, the few grains of sand that are our lifetime here don't compare to the absolute, you know, beachfront sand and dunes that are eternity. 
And what God secured in Jesus Christ is eternity. That's what he died about. And so, can you imagine a truthful presentation of God's plan in today's prosperity language? I want you to think of it like this. God has a wonderful plan for your life. He wants you to prosper. And then he says, okay, so what's the plan? Let me tell you, here's the plan. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. That is God's wonderful plan for your life. Boy, that sure changes things in a hurry, doesn't it? (laughs) Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at the sea. This is God's plan for your life. You see, if, we, we, if we're truthful about the false teachers today, they are twisting the gospel in such a grotesque way that the actual point of the gospel is lost. It's about repentance and life eternal, not about God's wonderful plan right now for everything in your life to work out. And if we can remove that from our thinking, we find freedom. You see, this list that Paul gave is not Paul's strength showing, but God's strength that has kept the gospel moving forward. It has kept the church moving forward. And Paul wants people to see God's faithfulness so he will boast of his weaknesses so others will see it as God's power and not his. Paul says he's a madman for simply even talking about this because he doesn't want it to be about him. The point is not whether he's suffering or succeeding. The point is what Jesus Christ did. And so we have this paradoxical truth of the Christian faith that there is strength in weakness. Strength in weakness. And I know it doesn't make sense. I know that it can be hard to fathom how am I strong when I'm weak. Here's how. We are strong when we're weak because we stop relying on ourselves and we start trusting God and our faith grows. When we stop thinking we have to control life or life has to be a certain way and it has to be this and we stop trying to force it and we start accepting Look, God, I'm yours. Do with me whatever you want. And we accept that. We find freedom. We find release. And we find the strength of God already present to get us through whatever it is. And so Paul says in verse 30, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul's not being some kind of super spiritual person right here. He's being serious. The God and Father of of the Lord Jesus He who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. And then he tells this story. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Not quite the Red Sea escape, is it? It's not him boldly going out there and declaring and having this moment where he just, you know, hey, we won. I mean, this is, he boasts of being let down in a basket to escape. Not exactly the strong picture of a hero that the world would hold up. Why does Paul say that? Because Paul sees it as God providing and the gospel continuing. God gave him a way out and he took it and he continues to minister. 
and just as in the shipwreck and just as in the beatings and just as in getting stoned and just as in the, you know, being beaten with rods and everything else, God has continued to hold him up and get him through. And that's the point. And I really believe our lives need to be on the same trajectory as Paul's. That it's not about our circumstances, it's about our faithfulness. John the Baptist showed up on the scene and said, he must increase and I must decrease. I think that is the true boast of faith. I really do. If we're going to brag about our faith, I think at the end of the day it comes down to, oh yeah, I'm going to brag about God. Yeah, the, the, the greatest thing about God is that every day it, it becomes more about him and less about me. It becomes more about his kingdom and less about my life. And the cool thing is, is that I get to go be a part of that kingdom because of what Jesus did for me. I get to be a part of it. That's the boast of faith. It's bragging about what God has done, is doing, and is going to do in your life, regardless of what the circumstances may be. His kingdom will prevail. And so I really believe this has to be our posture as individuals and as a church, as a congregation, that he must increase and I must decrease. And so my challenge to you this week is ask yourself that question. God, in what ways can I decrease so that you may increase? It's not just about you decreasing. If you decrease and he doesn't increase, then you're just abusing yourself. It's got to be about him increasing in your life. And so I ask everybody this week, pray that prayer repeatedly this week. God, how may I decrease so that you may increase? And watch what he does. And one of the ways we do that together as a church is to obey and do what God has told us to do in the Lord's Supper. It it truly is. The Lord's Supper is about, it's not about any one individual. It is about the body of Christ, about us together acknowledging that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will return. That we believe that together and that the whole reason we do all of this is not about my life or your life, but about eternal life in the kingdom of God. That the eternal Son of God stepped out of heaven, became a man, lived a perfect sinless life, died a sacrificial death on the cross for the sins of the world, was placed in a tomb, and was raised again on the third day to life, conquering death. And that whoever puts their faith in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. That is the heart of everything that we do, of who we are. And when Jesus, the night before his crucifixion, met with his disciples and they had a Passover meal, he took the bread and he said, this bread is my body, which shall be given for you, which shall be broken for you. And after he had taken the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which shall be given for you. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so together, 
we do this to remember what Jesus did. And we do it as the body of Christ, none above the other, none behind, below, all of us equal in the body of Christ with him. So we eat the bread. And we drink of the cup. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day you've given us, God, and just the time, God, that we get to worship together, to study your word, to learn about who you are, what you have done for us. And God, I pray that you would help each of us this week, God, to bring it to our mind, God, to remember to pray how we each individually can decrease so that you increase. God, show us how as a congregation, as a church, we can decrease so that you can increase. God, make our lives about your kingdom, about glorifying you. God, help us to get out of our own way so that you can shine. God, help us to be bold about your kingdom and your truth. God, help us to be kind and loving. Bold in truth, kind in demeanor, loving in nature. God, that people would would know the truth and they would feel the love of the truth from us at the same time. God, that we would love each other as you have loved us. And God, that by that, Others would know that we are your disciples because we love each other. God, change our thinking so that we do not believe that kindness is weakness. But that kindness is strength. God, that you've not called us to be superhuman. You've just called us to be faithful. God, help us to walk faithfully, glorifying you. God, I pray for each person, each family represented here. Whatever struggles, whatever heartaches, God, I pray that your grace just reigns supreme over it and that you bring freedom and healing and wholeness. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.